Well, we're going to start a new series in the book of Jonah. So if you want to get your Bibles out or get your Bible app out, we're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to read the first few verses in chapter 1. And this is an interesting book because I think many of us, if you've grown up in the church, you've basically equated it with G- uh, Jonah and, and a whale, right? Jonah gets swallowed by a whale and it's crazy and then he gets spit out, but we don't really think much about the rest of the story. In reality, this is a story about a man on the run. This is a story about a man who has heard from God, he has heard God's command and call on his life, and he's said, no thanks, I don't want to. And and there are a lot of things that we're going to talk about in terms of his own soul and, and what's going on in his soul. There are some things that he wants to hold on to more than he wants to hold on to Uh, the will and the purposes of God. And I think that we'll be encouraged that God is a compassionate God even when we're running. That God is a merciful God even when we choose to go our own way. So let's go ahead and stand up. I'm going to read. It's a long passage, so I'll read it. And uh, we're going to stand and listen to the word of God together. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner parts of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed harder to go back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize in this moment that you are sovereign, that you are ruler and reigning over your creation. 
God, I, I recognize at the same time that we, in, in many ways, have, have run away from you. In other places in your word, it says that we are like sheep who have gone astray. And Lord, as we have done so, Lord, you, you pursue us. Sometimes in ways that are uncomfortable, fearful, but you pursue us with the purpose of bringing about your mercy and compassion. And I God, God, I pray that by your Holy Spirit that we would see through the life of Jonah and his interactions with these sailors and with you, that you are a compassionate and merciful God. And that rather than running from you, we ought to run to you. Open our eyes to see how your, your sovereignty and your compassion come together. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. So this is the beginning of a, a fairly long story. And, well, no, I, sorry. It's a fairly long story in the sense that you could read chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 in one sitting to get a full view of what the author is trying to do. The, the, it, it, there are really two episodes that you could look at. The first episode is, is what we've just read, uh, and then it'll continue with a prayer next week. But it's this episode of, of Jonah receiving a command from God and him disobeying God and running and then responding to God after God pursues him. And then in the second section, we see Jesus, or we see Jonah being recommissioned by God and him obeying and then encountering the Ninevites. So in the first section, we have the, these, these sailors, these pagan sailors. And in the second section, we have these Ninevites, both of whom, as we'll see, respond to God and respond to God's message appropriately, whereas Jonah himself does not. And, and if you were to kind of give this a tagline, if I was teaching little kids this, this book, it would be, don't do what Jonah does. You know, this is good idea, bad idea. I remember as a kid, I, I watched this show, and, and there was the guy who does the good idea, you know, uh, turning on the lights. And the bad idea is turning on the lights while you're standing in water in a tub or something ridiculous like that. There's the good idea, bad idea. Jonah is the, uh, uh, an example of Mr. Bad Idea. And so I want you to keep that in mind because God is going to give us some opportunities to see by comparison how we ought to live and how we ought not to live. And today we'll see that, that he invites us to do exactly what Jonah does not do. He invites us to run to him. So in verses 1 through 3, we see that God commissions Jonah to preach against the city of Nineveh. It says in verses 1 and 2, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of uh, Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, this great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. So this city had become so evil, so wicked, that God felt the desire and the need to address their wickedness. And if you were to go, there's another book, uh, unfortunately Nineveh ends up falling, they, they don't completely repent, and so God judges them, and in the book of Nahum, it, it lists out really the wickedness of, of this nation. And so God commissions Jonah to reach out to them, to, to preach to them, but rather than obey, he chooses to go in the opposite direction. If you were to look on a map... Uh, Joppa, where, where Jonah is, is kind of right on the, the coast of the Mediterranean, and instead of going 
uh, northeast, he decides to jump into the sea and go west. He wants to go as far as possible away from what's the presence of the Lord. It says in verse 3, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And then verse, uh, in the end of verse 3, it says it again, that he goes with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Just as a side note, again, I would encourage you to read this book. Read it a few times. It's one of the most um, literarily well, it, it's a tightly written book. And so there's, there's repetition there. There's some uh, structuring there that's really interesting. And if you step back, it's, it's, if, you're, if you're a literary person, you like to read, it's, it's a worthwhile read. And in fact, one of the things that he mentions is, uh, is that in verse 3, it says that Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord, and then it says, he went down to Joppa, and he paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them into Tarshish. And that, that going down is a euphemism into going into death. So rather than going into the safest, best possible place that he could go in the will and purposes of God, he chooses rebellion and sin and chooses to go and steps into death. Rather than going to what, what for a, a Jewish person would have been a comfort, they were, not, they were not mariner people, they were not commonly at the sea. Land was the comfortable means of, of transportation. He, he jumps into the uncomfortable, unsafe means of transportation away from God and towards death. Now at this point I want to say that this, this picture is the irrationality of sin. Here's Jonah He's a prophet. We don't know if he's maybe not a theologian. Maybe he isn't the sharpest um, pencil in, 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 the, in the box, but he has some sense of who God is. So it's likely that he has some idea that, hey, God is a big God. God is a powerful God. Maybe he didn't have the word for it, but God is everywhere, or at least he has influence everywhere. And yet here is Jonah clearly seeking to escape God. You know that if God is truly God, there is no escaping God. The writer of, of Psalms, Psalm one, one, uh, 139 specifically, lays it out this way. He says in verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? And for those of us who are not in middle school, that's a rhetorical question, right? Nowhere. Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I, if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, what are you? You are there. Even there your hand shall lead me and you, your right hand shall hold me. If I, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about, about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. He can't, he can't, run away from God, and neither can you and I. And, and I've, I've, as I was thinking about this, I, I have a sense that, that there are some of you who have tried to hide from the presence of God. Maybe, maybe your church attendance, though you're here today, would indicate that there have been weeks that you were like, you know what, today is not a good day for church. Today is not a good day for me to step into the light. And I would encourage you that, that wherever you are, God is. That that's an undeniable reality. And so the question isn't, how can I get away from God? But rather, what does it look like for me to go to God with what is going on in my life? Like, you've got stuff going on in your life. 
surprise, God knows. God knows. So this whole idea of running away is, is much like the, the toddler trying to play hide-and-go-seek. It's not hard to find you. This is the irrationality of his sin, is that he thinks that he can get away. Don't take Jonah's example here. Go to God and confess your sin. Go to God and address your pain. Go to God and bring him your hurt. God is faithful. In 1 John 1.9, it says that God is faithful and just to forgive when we come to him. Unfortunately, he does not do that. Rather than cross the land and go northeast, he heads west across the Mediterranean. And, and it, it's worth asking the question, okay, Jonah, you, you are a prophet of God. And if we looked in 2 Kings, we see that he, he actually ministered to uh, the kingdom. So he, he's not some sort of minor, like he's actually involved with the ministry of God. Why would he, at this moment, disobey God? And if you look at some of the other prophets, you see that they may have a trouble with the burden of, of a prophecy. They may have trouble dealing with the people to whom they have to prophesy. But, but really, he's an anomaly when it comes to saying, you know what, God? No. No. So why is that? Well, to give us some cred, or some, some of his credentials, some of his biography, if we were to look at 2 Kings chapter 14, there's one reference to him in 2 Kings chapter 14. He, he is a minister in the time of Jeroboam. In 14.25, it says this. Uh, actually, I'll start in verse 23. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of jo- Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, his, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. Verse 25. He restored the borders of Israel from uh, Lebo Hamath, as far as the sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. So what's happening is Jeroboam is ruling and reigning and doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord. And at the same time, as he is doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord, he's expanding the, the borders of Israel. Right? We're at two kingdoms. The kingdom of, of Israel has split. You've got the, the northern kingdom of Israel, the, the southern ki- kingdom of, of Judah. The northern kingdom tends to be worse, more wicked. And that's the kingdom to which, to which uh, Jonah ministers. And it says that by the word of the Lord, verse 25, he spoke through his, son, uh, through his servant Jonah. God told uh, told. Jeroboam, that he would be allowed to, to expand the borders of, of Israel. So here was this prophet who was giving this kind and wonderful and encouraging word to this wicked king. You know, hey, you're going to expand, you're going to expand the, the borders of Israel. You're going to rule and God's, God's favor is going to be upon you to do that. And so here he is so, I'm, I'm, I'm speculating to some degree because we don't know a whole lot about Jonah, but we, we have some idea that maybe Maybe he was more interested in, in the, the success of his nation and his commitment to this nationalistic intent than the people around him. Maybe he was more interested in, in what it meant to be an Israelite that he'd lost sight of the, the ultimate purpose of Israel, which was to be a blessing to what? The nations. We have a prophet who's more willing to pronounce blessing during a time that the, coven- that the kingdom was covenantly, covenantally disobedient than he is willing to announce blessing to a people who would 
who would need to hear God's mercy. So that's, that's Jonah in a, in a nutshell. But not only that, Nineveh was an important Assyrian city. So you have, again, the northern kingdom of Israel, then you have the southern kingdom of Judah, and the northern kingdom was constantly being attacked, first by the, the uh, Assyrians and then by the Babylonians. And so these people had been oppressing the, the Israelites. They were known for their bloodshed and for attacking God's people and, and taking them away from the worship of God. And again, I, I considered reading Nahum. It's pretty rough in, in any sort of literalistic uh, translation. I invite you to read it yourself. Chapter 3, I believe it is. There are children in the room, so I won't. But let's just say that, G- that God, God communicates in fairly graphic language the kind of wickedness that was being promoted by Assyria. And this, this wickedness was being promoted and it was working its, its way into Israel and it was, it was causing oppression in Israel. So, so here's this man, Jonah, who loves his nation, loves Israel, and hates these other people. There's a sense of, of hatred towards this group. There's this, there's this pride and this resentment. And, and there's this a resentment that he has toward God. God, you would dare to give grace? He, because he understands that when God has commissioned him to go preach, That's God offering compassion and mercy. God could have judged them in a moment. And Jonah knew that. God, just go ahead and just send your angels. Just deal with them. You don't need me. He knew that God was trying to do something among the people of Nineveh. And he was unwilling to partake that. So in this moment, we're faced with the radical compassion of God. And at the same time, Jonah's deeply rooted hate. How big is your God? For Jonah, Yahweh, which is the name that you continue to see, and it's important in this, in this section because you have conversations about God and then conversations specifically about Yahweh. But for Jonah, Yahweh was the God of Israel. Yahweh was Israel's God. God was supposed to care for Israel and be against Israel's enemies. Why wouldn't he just judge them with without any sort of warning. One of the things that the author of Jonah is challenging with us with is those, those dark places in our own hearts where we stand in judgment. You know, I think we, if you were to look at your heart, it's a bit like a, a living room, and there's a living room, and you're going to invite all the people. You know, I love these people, my coworkers, difficult people, single moms, uh, uh, people that I, I kind of disagree with. We don't have the same uh, music interests, but there are rooms in that household of our heart that are closed. And those are the rooms where we put people that were like, those people don't have or shouldn't have God's grace and mercy and compassion. Those people. And, and if you've got people coming to mind, those are the people. For some of us, it's those people racially. For some of us, it's, it's those people economically. For some of us, it's, it's those people theologically. But we have people who God is not big enough for. And Jonah, the book of Jonah, is, is inviting us to look and consider the fact that maybe we need to repent and see God as bigger and his compassion and mercy as bigger than just over those people that we feel compassion and mercy for. 
And I'm not talking about not standing up for truth. We stand up for truth. We call what is right, right. What is wrong, wrong. Sin is still sin. There are some things that will always be wrong, regardless of what the culture says. But what I'm saying is, where do you see those people who fall outside the reach of God's mercy? So Jonah runs, but he cannot escape the presence of God. It goes on and it says, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was threatening to break up. He, he goes and he's like, okay, I'm not doing this, I'm not going. And he gets on the ship, he pays a lot of money to go and disobey. He commits a lot to his disobedience. Sin is such that when you begin to commit to that sin, it rolls into something that you can't control. You start with a little sin, and it gets bigger and bigger. Anyone who's lied and then got caught in their lie knows this. Because you got two options. You either come clean or you go big. Right? You're like, oh, you know what? I lied. Or you're like, well, actually, let me nuance the lie that I had with another lie. So he commits money and, and goes all in. And God stops him. God runs, but he cannot or sorry, Jonah runs, but he cannot hide from God. It says that uh, the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah had gone down into the inner parts of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. There's something odd about this. You know, this is a, this is a, this is a, a, a storm that is threatening these, these experienced mariners' lives so much so, so that they're taking the things that probably were going to be the either supplies or things that they were going to sell and saying, this is not worth enough. I'm throwing this over because my life is worth more. And there's all this activity in the midst of this storm and Jonah is fast asleep. And it's almost like the writer of Jonah is saying to us, look at these pagan sailors who aren't supposed to be aware of God's presence are so actively responding to God. While Jonah himself is, is asleep to God. God is pursuing them. Yahweh rules, rules the, the sea. You know, in, in, in Numbers 32, I know it's a, a book that you guys have all read. We, we love Numbers. I'm being facetious. Um, numbers is a challenging book because it's about... Numbers. But in, in Numbers chapter 32, 23, Moses is talking and he's, he's telling the people how they ought to live and what they ought to do. And specifically, they're about to cross over into the, the promised land, but there are some of the tribes that want to stay on the other side. They're like, this looks good enough. We don't want to go in the promised land. And so Moses says, you guys can stay. But your men are going to come and fight with us. And you're going to help us do what God has called us to do. And he says this. But if you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord. And be sure that your sin sin will find you out. And even though that's a small verse in a, in a relatively uh, less interesting book of the Old Testament, that truth, that principle is one that I would invite you to embrace. Lovingly, I say to you, your sin will find you out. Jonah has run, but his sin is going to find him out. 
And so God is pursuing them, and he's got all this turmoil happening. It goes on, and it says that the captain comes to him and wakes him up and says, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought that we may not perish. Again, the irony of the situation is that Jonah, who is supposed to be a minister of God and his mercy, is the only one who's uninterested about the lives of these people. These, these other sailors are like, we got to help one another. i got to make sure that as the captain that these people live. Help me. Cry out to your God. Maybe he'll listen. To give an, an idea, they all had personal gods, they had, they had family gods, and they had national gods. So they were saying, you know, cry out to your personal god, maybe he'll listen. My, my personal god's not listening, side note, because it's a pagan, or it's, a, it's an idol, it does not listen. But he's saying, maybe, maybe you'll listen. And then they do this other thing where they cast lots, they basically throw dice, and God in his sovereignty uses that to, to, to allow them to see that Jonah is the man. Uh, in the Old Testament, they would do a thing called casting lots. And so literally, it's like dice. And they would take the, the results from the dice as God's hand saying this way or that way. And in the New Testament, we see even they used it when, when Judas, uh, he dies. They, they cast lots to find out between two guys which one would replace Judas's place. And so here we see them doing that as well. So they cast lots, it says in verse 7, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come? Who are you, man? What country are you coming from? In other words, who's your local God? What, what God is, made, has, is so angry right now? What national God are you coming from? And he says, listen, listen to the irony of this. He says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. You fear the Lord except that you're running away from the Lord and you're not obeying him. There's not much fear there. But the God of heaven... And he says this to these guys, who made the sea and the dry land. I mean, this is an admission of guilt if there ever was one. Who is messing with the sea? I am running from the God who uh, is God over everything, including the sea. And so in this moment, we see that Jonah, he admits, he admits that, that he is the cause. But what's interesting is that he doesn't repent at this point. He doesn't say, let me pray and say, God, I will obey. He says, I have a solution, kill me. He is so committed to his own sinfulness. He's so committed to his own hate towards these people. He is so committed to the sense that I know who God should be. And the fact that God is not behaving in that way means that he is not my God anymore. That he's willing to die rather than to obey. Just as a side note, again, don't be Jonah. Is, are you, are you, are you in, a, in the middle of a storm? Where do you, who do you think is sovereign over that storm? God will use storms to get our attention. You know, I, I like it when, you know, we come to church and you, you see the person and then they give you a hug. And you're like, ah, they got, me, they got my attention with a nice hug. That lady's really nice. I remember being a kid and, and, and you go to church and Baptist church and you know, you're a cute little kid and the older ladies want to be grandma and, and, and they give you a hug and you're like, yes, that's what church is about. That's what life is about. God's love being poured out upon us. But sometimes, unfortunately, God will use our mess, our, our turmoil, our relational junk 
to get our attention. Maybe you're in a storm because, like Jonah, you've been running from God. I mean, maybe you decided God was, was saying, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I want you to go this way, and you're saying to yourself, no, I'm going to go left. And I'm not even saying that you need to hear a word from the Lord. There's very clear things in, in God's word. Live this way, do these things, don't do those things. You know, love your spouse, be faithful, be generous. Don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't commit adultery, don't have hate in your heart. There are very clear things that God invites us into, his ways of walking, and, and many of us, we could go left, and have you ever found yourself going left only to find out that things begin to explode in your life? And maybe not things that you realized were connected. You go left, and now your car's not working. You go left, and, and something bad happens at work. You go left, and could it be that God's trying to get your attention Get you to a place where you find that the only thing that you can do is say, God, I, I, need, I need your help. Don't be like Jonah. Don't give up. Go to God. So they're having this conversation, and, and they say, okay, Jonah, this is, this is clearly because of you. What should we do? Verse 11. What should we do to you that the sea may quiet down? And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know that it is because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. Now, again, he is not a martyr. He is a, a belligerent, unwilling disciple. And, and these, these poor sailors, they're like, I don't, I don't think that's a good idea. This, this God clearly is very angry. I don't want to kill one of his followers, and so they, they go on and they say, nevertheless, ne nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. Right? This is not, I don't want to do this. This is not a good idea. We're just going to try and go, but God would not allow it. And so it says in verse 14, therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. We recognize Yahweh that this has been your doing. Please don't hold us accountable for what clearly is your will. And then he tossed him into the ocean. And again, just to, to tie in the literary piece, it says in verse 7, or no, sorry, in verse 4, the Lord hurled a great wind, and then now in verse, uh, um, verse 15, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. So God hurls the wind, and the sailors hurl the, the unwilling prophet. And the sea ceased from its raging. I want you to consider the pagan sailors and Jonah. The sailors are appropriately fearful of the wrath of God. Jonah was asleep. The pagan sailors, they, they wanted to appease God and address whatever it was that God wanted done. Jonah's solution, just kill me. I quit. He'd consigned himself to death. He was now, even in death, still unwilling to obey God. You see, sin, sin will blind us to foolishness in our decisions. And sometimes people make choices and, and you look at them and you're like, why? why? Just why? But the reality is their, their sinfulness has made it so that their grid of, of thinking is all askew. 
Because of Jonah's resentment and his hatred towards the Ninevites, he would have rather died than minister. He was not performing a noble act, but has to be prodded to provide a solution to this problem that he has caused for these poor sailors. In Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, the writer encourages us and he says this. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If there's something that God's putting his finger on in this moment, your sin is not a little pet squirrel that just like makes you laugh every now and again, that you can then put away. Your sin is not a pet that intends to stay in one place. It desires to overtake your life. And it does, does so by, by hardening your heart. For, for Jonah, this was the deceitfulness of his sin at work, is that he was willing to die. If that's, if that's you, go to God. Don't be like Jonah. Go to God. So the the sailors respond differently. They, they listen to the word of the Lord actually coming through Jonah. Then they fear God and they toss him over. And then in verse 16 it says, The men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They feared God. They feared a being that could control the seas. And that, that person who could do that was worthy of worship, right? If they were fearful of their circumstances, which were tempestuous and life-endangering, then clearly the, the being who could, could control that situation was, was more powerful. You know, we were, we were driving along Skyline Drive recently, which is actually much more beautiful than I thought it would be. You know, I thought, Skyline Drive, or you're just going to drive along a skyline, sounds super boring. But you get up there, and it's amazing. Because you, you just see how vast these mountains are. And I don't know if you're from the West Coast, it's their foothills, whatever. But, but they're, for me, they're amazing. And, and we were there on a particular day where there, was, there were clouds, and there was light coming through, and you could see in certain places where the, the, the rain was pouring, and, and it was, it, the sun was setting, so there were shadows. And, and it was amazing. And it was vast. And, and we were driving, and there were moments where I was just kind of a little bit fearful because we were about three feet from just whoo, going down a ravine and being no more. And in one of those, those awesome moments, I was just thinking about the fact that these moments are intended to bring us up and see the wonder, not just of creation, but of our creator. Because anyone who could create this sort of massive awesomeness these kind of sceneries and situations where if we make one wrong move, we fall to our death. That being is awesome and worthy of praise, worthy of, of honor. That's where, the, that's where the sailors were. They had seen the wonder of God, and they were worshiping. I want you to consider the irony of this situation. God's chosen prophet could not be convinced to obey God. And yet these sailors seek out God's will in their situation and then obey it. 
And afterwards, they're so struck by the sovereign power and immense mercy of God that they offer sacrifices. And likely, these, these making vows is a promise to continue to make sacrifices. This isn't just a, a one-time thing. But God, we, we commit. You are now on our list. We're going to be making, making uh, sacrifices to you. Not one of us is so in with God that we don't need to obey God. You're not, you're not Jesus' homeboy. It's not, this is not a, a committee where, hey, me and Jesus, we decided we're going to do this. No. It's, it's a monarchy. And you are not the king. And at the same time, not one of us is too far off from God to receive his mercy. So we're not so in that we get to say, you know what, God, I, I heard your will, but I'm going to go my way. No, no one's ever that close to God. And at the same time, no one is so far from God that God is not willing to express his mercy. Do you need his mercy today? Go to God today. And as I close, we're going to continue to, to go through this book on, on Jonah. But I want you to think about some of these things. Jonah is a sovereign, or not Jonah, God is a sovereign God. He is the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. He is the one who hurled the storm at Jonah. He is the one who will save Jonah in the end. Uh, spoiler alert, God does save him. He doesn't die. If you've not grown up in church, read verse 17. Jonah is a man twisted by hate. He hates this people that God has called him to preach to. He hates that God would call him to do that. And in his hate, he's willing to be destroyed rather than give in. And yet God pursues Jonah in the storm. In your own place of hardship, understand that God is sovereign and God is pursuing. What circumstances are engulfing you tonight or today, this morning? What areas of your life do you need allow, to allow the presence of God into? To skip ahead a little bit, in the New Testament we see Jesus. And you and I, like Jonah, have run from God and his commandments. You and I, like Jonah deserve to die in the storm of God's wrath. But God shows his compassion to me and to you by sending not, not us, but Jesus into the storm. As we talked about two weeks ago, last week, Jesus dies in our place for our sins so that you and I can experience the compassion and mercy of God. Today, family, God is pursuing you. Some of you, he's pursuing you by means of, of, of a storm. And I, and I want to encourage you this morning to, to come to the altar and pray. To go to him. What does it look like? I've said, I've said go to him several times. Go to him, go to him. What does that look like? This morning it means coming down to the altar and praying or sitting in your chair and praying and addressing that issue that, that is, is the source of turmoil and, and giving it to God rather than running from God. It may mean going to someone and forgiving them it may mean praying for uh, the good of someone that you know. It may just mean asking God to come in and address your pain. But family, don't, don't go out of here without having gone to God. Confess in areas where you've been running from God. Repent and stop running. And do what he calls you to do. Do what you've been avoiding doing. 
and stop doing what you've been convicted to stop doing. And embrace God and his will. Seek out his, his will in this word and receive the mercy that we have because of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you're a God of compassion. You're compassionate to me and you're compassionate to people who are not like me. God, I, I confess that it can be so easy for me to draw the lines around your compassion. Lord, I pray that you would help me to hold up truth and love simultaneously. And I pray that these people would also embrace your compassion, would go to you, would not run from you. If you've been running from God and you, you want to turn to him today, if you want to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as the one who jumped into the, the ocean for you, who bore God's wrath for you. You want to trust him today. Would you raise your hand? Great. Once that's hands up, you can put it back down. There's nothing magic in raising your hand, but can you just pray with me? Just say, God, I, I know that I've run away from you and I've sinned. And I want to turn away from everything that I know to be sin and I want to turn to you, Jesus. I want to trust you with my life and I want to listen to your word and do what it says. Help me to live a life in light of what you've done for me. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you, family.